morning, church. Whatever. Good morning, church. You're all just too busy talking amongst each other. Yeah, we're busy. <laughs> we busy. We be busy. Man, it is great to be here with all of you this morning. Uh, I love coming and worship God with you, my family, um, and praise him for everything he is doing and life change he is bringing and allowing us to be a part of um, in his church. Um, we, are, we are several weeks into this scent series uh, as we walking through what it looks like for us to live a sent life for Jesus Christ, how he has sent us in the world to share the greatest message uh, that Jesus saves with all those around us. We've been walking through, digging into this idea to equip us, to inspire us, to, to be the church that God has called us to be. And I want to encourage you, if you have missed any of these conversations as we've been walking through this, to go back and listen to them on our podcast. I don't know if you know we have a podcast. It's free to listen to, free to download. And if you're following through as a small group, you can always catch up during the middle of the week if you miss the Sunday morning. Uh, you can share it with people, you know, that they need to connect with. You know, just be careful what you're sharing with who because, you know, hey, this is a great, uh, great message on being a good husband. You think you should listen to it, honey. You know, you want to be careful with things like that. Um, but it's always out there because it's our desire to reach the most possible people with the best message ever given about Jesus Christ and how he's called us to live. Uh, so it's there. Um, you know, as we walk through this idea of what is called a live a sent life, Jesus gave us pretty clear instructions before he ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. He gave us clear instructions of what he's called the church to do and what he's called us to be. And you can find in Matthew 28, it's going to be up on a screen, verse 18. He says, and Jesus came down and said to him, he's talking to his disciples, his followers. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I want to just stop there real quick. I don't have notes of this, but every time I read this, it's a reminder to me that who's in charge of the church, right? Who's in charge of all things? Who's in charge of everything? He created all things. All authority has been given to Jesus by the Father. And that means we need to be listening as a church. This is what we're called to do. Listen to Jesus because he is in charge. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that we, I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always until the very end of the age. So it's pretty amazing. He says, okay, all authority is mine. I'm in charge of the church, and I'm, this is what I've called you to do. And by the way, as I called you to do this, I am with you. There's not a moment as a church that you are alone. I am present with you, and as you're my child, we just saying I'm a child of God. I reside within you, so you're not alone as you walk through it. But if you look back, it simply says we are to make disciples. You go back one slide if you're in verse 19. We are to make disciples. That is what we're called to do as a church. In order to do that, it says we must go. We must go make disciples. And disciple is someone who believes in who Jesus is and they've surrendered their life to him to make the Lord of their life. And we're called to share that truth with all humanity, what Jesus has done. Our first action is to go. We've been sent by the Lord over creation to tell people about him, to tell people about the free gift of eternal life that he gives each and every one of us because he loves us. And that goes on and says we need to baptize him. Once you give your life to Jesus Christ, the very next step you take is baptism. This is a command by God for his people. It's not like, okay, I think I will be, or maybe someday I, I will you know, think about it and later on I'll do it. No, no. He says, this is a command. You were to be baptized after you give life to Jesus. 
What true disciples do, they get baptized. That's their next step. You know, and we witnessed that last Sunday. We saw eight individuals stop and proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ as they were baptized. And that's an awesome, awesome moment uh, that we get to uh, witness as a church. And the final piece is to teach them. To make disciples, we go, we baptize, and the whole time as we're walking through this as a church, we are, we are teaching the word of truth. This church, his church, is founded on the word of truth. As soon as we deviate from this word, we've missed it. This is the foundation of how we have called to live as individuals and how he's called to lead us as a church. And as we do this, we will grow We'll grow in our understanding of Scripture. We'll grow in understanding what God has called us to do. And we'll start living the word, this word out in our lives. That is the better part of our mission, making more and better disciples. That is our mission, to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. In this series, I said we're going to be focusing on talking about the more by you and me and we as a church becoming better disciples. And we grow in the knowledge of the truth, become better disciples, and we live it out. Friends, we are sent people. That is who we are. That is what this church is. But we need to be warned. We need to be warned because as we live out our mission here at Vertical Church, as we live out our mission of reaching our community and influencing, influencing this town and the surrounding towns and communities from the inside out with a message of hope, there will be opposition. As we live out what God has called us to do, there will be opposition right in front of us. I share this because it's something that Jesus said, not because it's something Rich is thinking about, not something like, oh, look, I got a great idea. No, it's because it's something that Jesus said. In Matthew 16, verse 18, he says, I will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. See, Jesus declared that he was going to build his church, and that is a truth that we as a church absolutely celebrate together. But in the middle of his proclamation, He clearly shares that there's going to be opposition, that we have an enemy, and his desire is to take down the church of Christ. His desire is to get in front of the world, say, no, no, Jesus doesn't exist. He doesn't change anything. He was always being, Jesus will always be victorious, yes. Nothing can stand away from him building his church. But the opposition will do everything it can to destroy what he's trying to build. The spiritual forces of evil that we read about in Ephesians, broken people, deceptive hearts, they'll just try to step in a way of what God is doing. And we have to know this. And we have to be ready for this. As sent people, as a church who desires to reach people for Jesus, we have to equip ourselves to know what it looks like to face the opposition that stands before us. And so this morning, we're going to walk through a couple of areas of what opposition is the greatest in the church and reveal that no matter how hard it gets, man, there is so much hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so if you've got your Bibles with you, open them up if you would. The Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we're starting at verse 33 this morning. Acts 4, 33. 
a Bible, Bible app. If you have that, maybe you should bring a Bible or pull out a Bible app. I don't know. Or if you don't, you can follow along the screen. I love having scripture with me at all times. But um, as we get into our conference this morning, we're actually going to pick up right where we left off last week. We talked about the attractive community, the radical, uh, unexplainable generosity and bold proclamation last week. We're going to actually pick up right where we left off last week. And the believers were one in heart and mind, and they continued to teach and proclaim the truth and that Jesus was growing and living in this unexplainable, generous, attractive life. Look at verse 33 of chapter 4. You can see it on the screen. It says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully working in them all, and there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, and brought the money from the sales and put them at the apostles' feet and distributed it to anyone who had a need. Let's stop right there. The church is born. It is being established with people around us. This new attractive community that God was putting in place was in play. Everything seemed to be moving forward. And that's when opposition steps in and gets in the way. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. It says, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept, kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What you may think or you, what you made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. A great fear seized all who heard what happened. And then a young, some young man came in forward and wrapped up his body and carried them out and buried him. About three hours later, verse 7, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you, you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Holy Spirit of the Lord? Listen. The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down and, and died at the feet and died. And the young men came in and, and failing, uh, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Verse 11, a great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Let's just stop right there. Everything was moving forward in the church. The church was exploding, multiplying, and lives of hundreds, thousands were being changed by Jesus. When the brokenness of man, that's when the brokenness of man reared its ugly head and sin stepped in the way of kingdom progress. Uh, we might not like hearing this, friends. And it might be a little rough this morning, but the first opposition to the growth of the church is us. The first opposition to the growth of the church is us. Our sin becomes a barrier to what God wants to do. 
Now, I'm not just talking about our sin because Romans 3.23 is very clear that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. I'm not talking about that kind of sin. I'm saying that with the fact that we have unconfessed sin, that we become comfortable with sin. If we want to step in the way of what God wants to do in our lives and what he wants to do in his church, we become comfortable in sin. Now, being comfortable with sin is knowing and living to choose to live in a way that exactly how God calls his children not to live. That's what I'm talking about. Thinking that what we're doing or how we're living is no big deal. That what we're doing is not hurting anyone or, or maybe it is hurting someone and that's what your intention to do. No one will ever know. No one will ever care. Let me just tell you, this is exactly what Ananias and Sapphira thought too. And it didn't end so well for them. The church was growing crazy rapid speeds. And Satan and his posse were able to entice those inside the church through pride, greed, and deception, a worldly view, and it cost them in the end simply because he gave them, they gave him access to their lives. Paul talks about this in the book of Ephesians chapter four and verse 26 where he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In verse 27 it says, do not give the devil a foothold. Meaning do not give the devil a foothold. It mean don't give him access. Don't give him the opportunity to step in your life, to mess with your life. Don't give him the opportunity to step in your life and lead you down dark paths. And don't let him give him the opportunity to believe things that are not true. Don't give him a seat at the table of your life. Amen. Psalm 23, verse 5 says, even though I, the, my, he prayer, he, oh my gosh, I just dropped it on my head. <laughs> he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So we're there at a table with mighty God but our enemy is still there. And we don't pull up a chair and invite him to sit down. That's what that verse is talking about. Because as he steps into our world, he will mess our world up. And as we get into this and look at this in the book of Acts, this is the first time where Axis was giving in the church where sin prevailed, not Jesus in this moment. A church that was all about loving their neighbors as themselves became really about loving themselves. The place of pride, a place of desire and position because the only reason they were giving that money was to make them to look good. They were lying through their teeth and they were okay with it. You know, we're told back in the book of Exodus and, and uh, I think it's Exodus chapter, when the Ten Commandments were being, were being chiseled out by the finger of God, that God is je- a jealous God. And that's no different today. Friends, God is jealous for his church. He's jealous for his church. This church is his church. This church is not ours. It's never been ours. It is his. And he'll protect it any way he seems fit. Fran and I's fire didn't turn out so well. And when the people heard what happened, a great fear seized the church because God made his point. 
How can you be an effective witness for me when you don't live for me? You know, Jesus said some harsh truths about this as well. In Matthew 5, verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except being thrown out and trampled underfoot. It means you're not, you know, a longer an effective witness for me. I think it's pretty clear if we become people, a church, who are comfortable in our sin, we not only feel distant from God, we'll start separating from the church and we'll start hurting our families. We become the opposition. We stand in the way of kingdom progress. Our witness becomes diminished and God won't use us. See, the reality is, friends, uh, Jesus is gonna build his church. Our sin doesn't stop God, it stops us. He will continue to build his church. It just won't be through us. It will use another place, another people. He will continue to build his church. Friends, I have, over the years, watched sin step in in the way of kingdom progress. I've watched it work through large church and mega pastors, uh, churches issues, small country town churches, and unfortunately, I have to share with you uh, that I've seen it again. Um, this is very hard for me to share with you, so I ask you to please bear with me. Um, and I ask you also to please lend your grace with my words, because I'm going to try to say as best as I can, but... This past week, a matter of concern was brought to my attention and then to the elders. And as a leadership team, we began to investigate the, the accuracy of the information that was given to us. And as we investigated and we began to ask questions, the issue was confirmed. And two of our staff members resigned as they have disqualified themselves for serving in leadership of this church. And we, as a leadership, have accepted the resignations effective immediately. The first uh, is Lori Watts, our kids' ministry director. Uh, the, the second is Pastor Bart Wagner. Our, our leadership is held to a higher standard for serving but as pastors, we are held to a higher standard before God as his called leaders of his church. Qualifications of a pastor, elder, overseer that explain this are found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 of how we are called to live as pastors before you, before God. And when those qualifications are not met, are not lived out, God is very clear of what he's called us to do as a church body. And those are found in 1 Timothy 5. 
These went up in the screen, but I'm just going to read two verses to you. He says, but those elders, pastors, elders, overseers, who are sinning, you are to reprove or rebuke before everyone publicly, so that others may be warned. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus to the, and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. These were Paul's words to Timothy, the instruction of how to walk through with the leadership of the church. And as I share this with you, it breaks my heart. And I know I'm not alone. So this is what I'd ask you to do. Please pray for these families. Pray for them. Reach out to them. Encourage them. Because we love them. And we want to know them to know that they're not alone. And let's honor and respect them by crushing the rumor mill. We do this because they are two individuals and families that have loved and served in this church and community for years. And they have loved and served and invested into many of your lives. And so that means our love for them can not change. The attractive community that I spoke about last week continues through us even in the middle of hardship. We love. We're hurting. They're hurting. So we love. And you can do this by you know, writing in the letter, mailing them a card. Send them a text message, a message saying, tell them that you're praying for them and that you love them. And when you see them in public, fight the awkwardness that you were going to feel at that moment. Because it will be uncomfortable and a little bit awkward, and you'd be, you'd be probably wanting to turn and go the other direction or slide down another aisle in the grocery store. Don't. We can't overwhelm them with awkwardness. We need to overwhelm them with the love of Jesus Christ. The only reason God has called us to do this is just to, to love and restore them with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as a church, as a church leadership, it, it's our desire to help them as they step through this transition in life. It is so hard to hear. It's even so harder for us to grasp. But I want you to know, church, you are not alone either. Myself, Pastor Jacob, and all the other elders are here for you as a church to pray with you, to counsel you, to encourage you, to love on you, because we love you too. Yes. But as we 
sit here in dis- disbelief this morning, I need to share with you that in the middle of our hardship, we have Jesus. Amen. As we stand in the promises of God and will honor God's church, we will have faith, we have hope, we have love, because we have Jesus. And I want you to know that you are a part of a church that even though right now we're in a place that's very uncomfortable and hard, that we are a part of a church that we will continue to take the next right step to honor God and glorify him with this church. As chapter five moves on, we read that the apostles were arrested for sharing the message. The opposition that they were facing was getting stronger and harder. But that night, they, God uh, sent an angel and they freed them. And the mor- in the morning, the entire Sanhedrin came together and the leadership came together and they weren't in the jail cells anymore. They found them out preaching the word of God in the temple courts. And they, so they arrested them again and they brought them before them again and then it says in verse 27 of chapter 5, it says, The apostles were brought in the middle and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And he said, We gave you strict orders not to, teach, to not teach in his name. He said, You have filled the Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make your, us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. And then they stood up in the whole Jewish council, proclaimed the truth of Jesus. Right before the council, they told them not to speak in the name of Jesus. The hardship was getting harder. And he says, no, 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 we're, we're going to obey God. This is what he's called us to do. And at that moment, they proclaimed the truth of Jesus Christ right before the Sanhedrin. And one of the leaders wanted them to get up and have him killed. But another leader talked him out of it, and it says in verse 40, they called the apostles in and had them flogged, and then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Flogging is a form of punishment. Have you ever seen the movie Passion of Christ? You know what I'm talking about, what a flogging looks like. It's absolutely brutal. Guards would take uh, triple straps of cowhide and tie small lead beads and sharp sheep bones to them and then they would force the people on their knees and took the strap and hit them across their bare backs and their bare chests. And the idea was, the order was given to do 39 lashes because 40 they thought would kill them. And there's only one reason this was done. Fear. They wanted people to be afraid. They wanted people to shut down and fear that they had control. Flogging and releasing was used to cause great fear among the people and the person who was flogged, and it was greatly multiplied around the people around them. If you want to shut someone down, cause fear to be instilled into their lives. Fear, it paralyzes people. It cripples them. Because fear blinds us from the presence of God. 
And when it comes to the purpose of the mission of church, fear shuts the mouths of his people. Think through this. How would you respond with this type of punishment? How would you respond telling others about Jesus if you knew that this might be the way you'd turn out? I think that most of us, at least myself, I'd have to think twice. And then I think about how many of you are fearing, feeling right now. Fearful for our church. I'm going to just tell you that's exactly what the enemy wants you to feel. He wants us to be afraid. He wants us to feel like we're against the ropes with no way out. So that's why I need to share with you how these men responded to their flogging. Because when we see it, it will breathe hope into our lungs as well. In verse 41, it says, The apostle left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. And day after day, the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaimed the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Amen. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. I think about this, how in the world can this be? How can they be rejoicing through this? They understood God's love for them. They understood Jesus, what Jesus had done for them. And they wanted to get into heaven and to look Jesus in the eye knowing he, that they didn't disappoint him and easily say, I didn't deny you. I didn't fail the test this time, Jesus. I loved you. I shared you. I honored you and your church to the end. And regardless of how they were hit, literally, spiritually, emotionally, they moved forward. How? Why? Simply because they believed in the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one who was sent to save the world through him. That they believe that Jesus is the same today as he was yesterday. And he'll be the same tomorrow as he is today. Because that is our God. And that is the same for you and I this morning. God is faithful. He loves his church. He is immovable, unbreakable, unstoppable. And he will carry us through what's in front of us. Because he loves us. And as we lean into him, he will continue to breathe hope into our life, into our lungs, every day, so that we can be the church that he has sent us to be. In the middle of our hardship, friends, there is Jesus.
and our hope will always rest in Jesus. I don't even know what else to say. Um, we are here for you. We love you. And we'll continue to do the next right thing to honor God in his home, his house. Please don't hesitate to reach out to them, to encourage them, to love them, and also to us because we want to encourage you and love and help you because we love your church. We truly do. Let's pray. Father, oh, Father, what a hard morning. I'm just going to let my words be few. because you're a holy, perfect God. We lay our church before you. We give, make room for you. We lift up these two families. Show them your love. Help us show how we can figure out how to show them your love. But as hard as we are, this is, and the unsettledness in our hearts and mind, maybe some fear that we have, God, we come before you, our rock, our fortress, ever-present mighty God in a time of trouble. And we trust everything in your mighty, creative hands. At this point, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward. And if you're in this, here this morning and you just want to be prayed over, you want time to pray, be prayed with, this is why they're here. After service, just come on up. Maybe it's just a hug. Maybe it's just a whisper that Jesus loves you. We are a body, the body of Christ. And we are together. God, thank you for being who you are that we can lean in and on you. Because know you have the, your way is better. Your way is better. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.